Greetings, everyone. We hope you are having a fabulous day. This is Richard Harris with my friend Scott Lease on the Surface Sales Podcast brought to you by Lead411. Find them, Perception Predict, Vidyard, and Gong, our five favorite sponsors. We really appreciate their support. And we are super excited here to be joined by, uh, is it the Director of Sales? Let me make sure I get this right. So the Senior Director of Global Sales at Seismic, Juwan Brown. So Juwan, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you being here this week. Yeah, no, no problem at all. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the, thanks for the invite. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the first thing is just to give people some perspective, right? Um, currently it's seismic, right? What kind of deals are you guys doing? Like what's your sales cycle? What's your, your average contract value? I just want to give people the, the understanding of where your frame of reference comes from as we talk about things today. Yeah, I mean, right now I am, as you mentioned, the senior director of global sales. So I'm, I'm dealing with, uh, you know, very large enterprises, um, sales cycles, you know, anywhere from nine to 18 months, probably. Um, I just got here uh, on this side of the table, probably three months ago, almost three months ago. Um, what do you mean so this I'm, side of the table? What does that mean? Well, um, I was at Seismic before. So I think it was probably a year or just a little bit over a year ago, I was at Seismic um, as a senior director enterprise and uh-huh. then um, moved away. And then I came back just in September as a senior director of global sales. So it's a slightly different sales uh, cycle. I'm imagining a little bit longer, um, a little bit larger in terms of the companies that I'm dealing with. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's what I meant by this side of the table sure. instead of enterprises global. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So yeah. I think this happens to a lot of people where you know, you got a good job, you like it, everything's going well. And then for some reason you leave and then you come back. So yeah. I am, I'm curious, what made you want to leave at that point? Um, or was it sort of a mutual separation? No, I mean, it was really an opportunity that I, at the time felt like I couldn't pass up. Um, it was a, you know, an opportunity to go to a small startup and, and lead and sort of launch a sales organization within that startup as a VP of sales. Um, very amicable, uh, leaving situation it wasn't you know it wasn't like I was forced out or I felt like I needed to leave because of anything that was happening at Seismic Seismic's a phenomenal company as is I guess right. evidenced by my boomerang right so like so, so uh, I want to I want to dig into that right because I think this happened, yeah. happened to me before too um, yeah, yeah you know you're at this great company um mm-hmm. things are going well and then the startup thing sort of tugs at you what yeah. were the things that made you want to leave specifically aside from hey it was a great opportunity yeah i think i think um locally for me so i'm in richmond virginia Mm -hmm. Um, the startup is based in richmond virginia Um, several of the founders of that startup are friends of mine Um, Mm -hmm. so there's a a personal relationship i was an advisor i'm still you know on the advisory board of that startup you know 10 months prior to joining them as the vp of sales and so like just the intimacy that i had uh, with the product, with the market that they were going after, um, and, and with the team itself, um, were things that, that really drew me to the opportunity. And right. so, it was, it, it, you know, most of it was relational, um, you know, relational in, in nature. It wasn't, it wasn't, lit- you know, it wasn't you know, necessarily something where it was just like, they've made me an offer I couldn't refuse type of scenario. It was just really wanting to work and help. That, that was my question, though. Were they, were they throwing any level of ownership or options at you? Or was it, hey, you know what? Now I get to go build this on my own from scratch. So I want to put that into my repertoire. Like what were some of those other things? 
Yeah, again, outside of the relational aspect of things, I mean, it was obviously um, some incentive, right? Um, some of it was, you know, a thought that I could actually take some of the things that I had learned and some of the skill sets and talents that I had and actually focus almost 100% on executing against those things. And that was really attractive. Um, right. uh, the company, again, being in Richmond, Virginia was super attractive because a lot of people don't recognize or know that there's even a, a startup community in Richmond, Virginia, right? Like who knew right. Um, and not only was it you know, that company, but there's probably a hundred others that are here in Richmond, Virginia, and just kind of building relationships within that ecosystem was important to me too, because I live here um, and I work here and I play here. Um, and so just being associated that closely with a company that was trying to put to some degree Richmond on the map, not, not that it was the first startup to blow or to, to do really well, um, but just being a part of that felt, yep. felt like something I wanted to be a part of, especially in light of the fact that I would be able to, in that position, um, make some, you know, have an impact on like the the the, the talent that was being brought in, right. right? And 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 I'm and I'm deeply I'm deeply uh, interested and, and concerned with seeing representation from minorities in this space, and to know that I was going to have some level of um, impact and ability to to to, yeah. to shape that uh, from scratch in an organization really excited me because I knew the type of opportunities I've been given to be in a position to actually give those opportunities uh, and pay that forward um, yep. was something that really attracted me as well. Yeah, well, we're, and we're, I'm, I'm gonna come back to that immediately, but I, I wanted to ask yeah. the obvious question around yeah. the boomerang. So what made you come yeah, back? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, before I left Seismic, I felt like Seismic had um, the types of things that I thought, hey, this is this is what I want to implement in a in an organization that I start and kind of spearhead, right? All, almost all of what was coming to my mind, almost all of the ideas that came to my mind came from my time at Seismic, mm -hmm. right? So, so when you think about like, okay, here I am in a position to sort of build a sales organization from scratch, mm -hmm. and I'm leaning heavily on my. I mean, it wasn't even that long of an experience at Seismic. I was there probably nine or ten months initially. But here I am leaning on all that I learned in that nine or 10 month period and feeling like these are literal best practices to bring into this new space that I'm entering into. Mm -hmm. um, that's a clue, right? <laughs> right. For me, that was a clue that's like, oh my goodness, I feel like the way that the sales organization has been structured and the way things operate and the enablement piece that's in seismic, um, are, they should be replicated. And so I was trying to replicate that. And then when, when it was time for me to move back into just an advisor role for that particular company, like I didn't feel like there was a lot of, I didn't have a whole bunch of companies that were coming to mind as places I right. wanted to land. Um, and Seismic obviously was one of those, so. Got it, got it. So, so let's go in and, and talk about, you know, sort of this paying it forward piece, right? And representing yeah. minorities. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Macon, Georgia. Uh, so I have a certain understanding of, of the South uh, left yeah. for, for one of the main reasons was I just didn't like that level of discrimination. Um, yeah. And granted, that was 30 something years ago. So I think I think Atlanta's and, and Georgia and as a whole, we know are making some changes. Um, yeah. But let's talk about that like early on in your career, right? You you decide what made you even want to be in sales in the first place. And then I want to understand like, what challenges do you felt like you had to face? Yeah, it, you know, I wasn't, sales wasn't on my radar. Like I, I didn't, there was no point in time where I was like, I wanted to be in sales, right? So like mm -hmm. I was waiting tables um, for seven, eight years, bartending waiting tables. And honestly, I love the lifestyle, but in the midst of that, I kind of cut my teeth as a, 
as a, I guess, a communicator, right? Because you're dealing with every type of personality under the sun in these various restaurants that I worked in. And I just got, I think I just got good at it. And I had- How'd you uh, get sucked in? Like did somebody, I used to recruit out of the yeah. out of bars and restaurants. I used to recruit waiters and waitresses for the yeah, very smart reason you're man. talking about, right? Smart man, um, yeah, yeah. So, what, so how did you even get into sales? What got it on your radar? Yeah, I had a buddy um, who, who you know, we, 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 we had a lot of fun together, like as friends outside of any workspace, but he worked at Intuit, right? Um, the Intuit, right? So he mm-hmm. worked there as a, as a web guy. And he was like, man, listen, man, you got to, from his perspective, he was like, this is in 2002. He was like, you have to give the gab, man. Like you need to get into like some real sales because you, you're persuasive. Like the things that you like, everyone around you ends up liking. He's like, that's essentially sales. Like you need to come over here. And I was like, man, First of all, I'm not a salesman. Um, second of all, they're not going to hire me, right? And he said, uh, "He said, man, just put the application in, and I'll and I'll and I'll put a word in." And I was oh, like, all right, put the- let's stop right there. Yeah. Was yeah. it they, was it that they? And I'm going to just go to the obvious. Was right. it that you didn't think they'd hire you because you had no experience, or do you think it was because you're a black man? No, it's a combination. So this was a black man who was who was who was telling me to do this. Um, but the combination was like, you know, I had a particular lifestyle in 2002 um, that didn't really accord with corporate, the corporate world. Um, and then also, uh, I had no experience in anything um, corporate up to that point, right? Like, I mean, real corporate. When I, when I thought about what it might look like to work at a place like Intuit, uh, first of all, I was totally wrong. Um, but second of all, I didn't think that, you know, that was a place for Dewan at the time. It's, it's funny that you didn't, realize or recognize that there was any salesmanship going on in your jobs as a bartender or a waiter because obviously you were refining those those skills and there's plenty of salesmanship that goes into those roles which is why so many of us like to recruit people you know from those roles into startup sales gigs corporate sales gigs and and whatever Yeah. Yeah. Totally oblivious at the time. Right. Like no understanding of intersection or um, any relevance at all. Like, I mean, I knew I was making a lot of money waiting tables. Um, I knew people liked me. I knew that um, I I made more money in less time. Like, I mean, I I knew all of the stuff that that made me a good waiter. Right. Or a good server or good bartender. I didn't know that they had any relevance outside of that restaurant whatsoever. Right. It wasn't on my radar at all. Did, did you go, this is a personal question. Hopefully you're okay with me asking it, but like, did you yeah. go backwards in income from when you were, you said you were earning good money, like as a waiter and a bartender, did you go backwards to get into sales? And what was that like? I did. Um, it, it was really interesting. That's a good question too, because you wouldn't think I did, but I did. Yeah. Because when I first, when I first got the job at Intuit, it was what they call flex time. I mean, I had, I was given 16 hours a week. There were no benefits. It was almost like my buddy said, get your foot in the door and then you'll be mm-hmm. able to kind of move around as you as you prove yourself. And so I just took a risk. But yeah, I went, I definitely went backwards in terms of income. But if you if you've worked in restaurant lifestyle, you know that the income, no matter how high it is, is uh extremely relative because it's because of how you live, right? Like it's just like, okay, I know that if I need to pay my rent and I just, you know, and I just had a good time over the weekend or I went on a vacation or whatever I did, like I just pick up shifts. And so you kind of live on the basis of like, there's no real stability 
Um, and if you're not conscientious enough to save and plan well, then it doesn't really matter how much you make. And so moving into the Intuit role actually gave me an instant amount of stability because I was just getting paid every two weeks, right? And well, it was just- So in a, in a way it forced you to live more conservatively? Yeah, more conservatively. I started to implement disciplines and areas of my yeah. life that I never had. I mean, it was, it was really transformative in ways that I would have never imagined. Um, and kind of, you know, I'm 45 today. And this is 20 something years ago. Um, but it, but it changed like the tra trajectory of like how I see life and how I see finances and money, right? Because money was like just a shift away um, mm -hmm. as opposed to something that's a little bit more stable, a little bit more calculated and sort of uh, constant and consistent. So many people struggle with that decision, yeah. whether to change, uh, change careers, change industries, mm -hmm. go from an individual contributor to a, to a leadership role, yeah. go from a leadership role where you know you you can dial in your quota and you, you kind of know you're maxing out your on-target earnings to going to start something from scratch and kind of losing the, the commission part even if you're picking up you know a bigger salary or title and and, and equity yeah. along the way how did how did you i guess what prompted your mindset to shift and change and be willing to go backwards and 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 how can how can you help others who maybe are at that same place yeah recognize that uh you know even though you go two steps back one step backward to go two steps forward type type of thing Right. Yeah. I, the, the way I frame it is there, there has to come a time in life. And this is for me, what, what happened is there comes a time in life where you start to, you start to look at the board differently. Right. And I, I talk about this a lot in other places. It's like pinball chess and checkers, right? There's these different games, checkers and chess have a really similar board, completely different initiatives, right? Like the you know, the sort of the, the accumulation of pieces in checkers is a big deal. Um, it's less of a big deal in chess. And so like, as I started having kids um, and as many kids as I have, like the, the way that I looked at the board had to continue to change. And so, and also like progress isn't always measured in forward movement, right? That's just life, right? Sometimes there's something, so you could progress to a place and realize that there was so much left on the table from a learning and development and growth perspective that the only thing that makes sense is to actually move backwards into those roles so that you can get what it is that you understand you're missing or lacking. Right. I still today have gaps that I know, um, you know, would hinder me in, in, in any like advanced role or in a, a different position and things like that. Like I'm, I'm completely clear uh, and I don't worry about the optics as it relates to um, the position that I have. And I think that's 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 if the people that I've spoken with who have gotten tripped up on the you know having a reticence to move, quote unquote, backwards are people who are 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 really aware of the optics of what that looks like. They, they care a lot about what people are gonna think, how people are gonna look at them, what it's gonna say about their progress and all of this stuff like that. And you just, I came to a place where that, that really doesn't matter to me, right? Um, providing for my family in the best way that I can does matter to me and just growing responsibly and growing in some, some of the right ways um, also matters to me. How do you get to that place mentally where you, you know the outside opinions, uh... You just kind of don't give a fuck about anymore. Yeah, I, I, I talk to people every single day. I'm sure you yeah. will do as well. Who, who struggle with this? You know. Yeah, yeah. 
it's an ongoing struggle, Scott. Um, to be honest with you, like I, I'm not, I can't say that I'm free and clear of of having some concern about what people uh, say about me, yeah. and especially especially as I'm seen as um, somewhat a representative of the companies that I'm involved with, and you know, so that's going to depend too. So you have somebody that's at a you know pretty button up company. Um, that's not me at the moment. I'm just like some. If you have a person who's at a pretty buttoned up company, um, they're gonna be they're gonna have a little bit more at stake, probably at least psychologically, um, to 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 pivoting to some such an attitude that I think is really a free attitude. Um, but for me, getting to it just was kind of a, a result of being surrounded by a lot of people who have already gotten there, right? Mm-hmm. Like so, you know, I'm ha- the first conversation I had with you happened to be on that panel. I yeah. was inspired. I was inspired by your perspective. You're taking the way that you move through some of these same issues. Um, I have other friends. Mike Simmons is a friend of mine. Uh, wow! Like just in, a, in engaging and interacting with him on a, more, a, a regular basis is is another one of those people who are just like really not as concerned about the optics as many other people. So I have a I have about twelve or thirteen people that I'm in constant communication with who continue to check me as I say things that indicate I'm caring about what people think too much. Yeah. Um, and apart from that, I don't know how you that happened, to it. When was the last time that Ooh. happened and you were like, oh, you know what? That, that I, I probably should open my mind a little differently. Man, last time I talked to Mike, for sure. And certainly uh, another time, last time I talked to Jeff Bajort. Um, uh, what, kind, what, kind of, I, what, yeah. what kind of things are you saying that they're like, hey, whoa, 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 Duan, like you, right. you Go, go this way, be you. Yeah, yeah. they're asking me questions, right? So like it's, I'm having conversations with them. You know, I, I won't divulge the whole conversation, but I, I, I literally called Mike Simmons um, on the phone one day and was like, it's just kind of laying out some things and the way that I was thinking about things. And he, he just asked me questions that, it, you know, eventually as I answered those questions, I realized these weren't my questions, right? These weren't things that were really, these weren't things that I personally was were actually concerned with, right? It was, these were things that I was concerned with on behalf of someone else who I thought might be concerned with it, right? And so he's asking me questions to get to the bottom of this. Like, so why, 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 why is that important? Like, why does that matter, right? Like what, tell me, tell me, okay, so what changes if you don't do X, Y, or Z, right? Like, and I'm just like, oh snap, right? I'm realizing that I need to pop out of it because I'm, 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 I feel like I'm under the radar, I'm under the gun, I feel like, all eyes are on me for a variety of reasons that we could probably talk about. Um, But at the end of the day, I realized that I was making decisions or trying to make decisions and trying to get Mike on board during that phone call with decisions that I was making that really wasn't about me. It was about other people outside of me. And and, and just having that conversation and having someone to have that conversation with is, is extremely important. And I just, I feel like, I, I don't, I can't speak for everybody. I just feel like there's the people that I speak with and I mentor, um, it seems like they don't have enough people who are uh, who are aware of that being a temptation in certain spaces and amongst certain personalities. So it's hard for them to get call outs on it, right? Yeah. It's hard for them to get call outs on it. You had, a, you had a great quote earlier. Now I'm gonna shank it, but it was something like, <laughs> something that progress doesn't always mean moving forward or pro- progress right. doesn't. That's forward. it, yeah, I got it. That's the name of the episode. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> that quote, that quote is, is, is fantastic, but it brings, it brings me to a point because you're in, you know, enterprise sales, longer mm-hmm. sales cycle, right? Do you apply that philosophy to, to your sellers? 
when they're in pipeline mid cycle, you know, trying to, trying to work deals, like, look, sometimes you got to go backwards and, and start all over. Sometimes you got to go backwards one, two steps um, in order to then, then go forward. Is that, does that philosophy bleed through to how you're coaching your, your sales reps right now? Yeah, well, the good news is that, you know, though my title is Senior Director of Global Sales, I'm an individual contributor. Um, but it does bleed into, uh, you know, how I, how I handle my own pipeline and how I speak and, and, and kind of mm-hmm. inter- interact with my BDR. Um, it certainly bleeds into all of the coaching I've done in, in prior positions uh, because it's just true, right? Like if you believe that the only way forward is like a visible, you know, palatable, obvious step forward, then, you know, you, you're, in for, you're in for a lot of heartache, right? Um, because it's, it's, that's not really, um, obviously that's a part of it. You want to be moving forward, but what does it mean to be moving forward with the wrong person? <laughs> you know yeah. Like, does it matter if you, if you had five meetings and it's, and it's, it's the wrong person? So like, what, what else can work except moving backwards, <laughs> you know, in that scenario? I gotta, I gotta ask you this question. Why are you an IC? Like you were way overqualified to be an IC. Uh, yeah. and, and, and You've been a VP before too. I know. Like, but like, And a regional manager. So I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and who's the boss we need to send this episode to, to make sure you do that. <laughs> you, gotta, no, you know what? You gotta let you us know, know what? what's the thought process there. Why, why are you in an IC role? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a desire, right? So I, they, they, they have multiple itches that I've scratched throughout my 20 year career, right? Um, one of them is I was really interested early on, probably 2006-ish, I was interested in working um, European companies. So, you know, what I ended up doing was I took a, a year stint uh, as an enterprise sales rep for <clears throat> the UK and, and then also Australia at Intuit. Worked really weird hours in the middle of the night, experienced it for a year, loved it, it scratched done. Um, leading a team of account executives that were distributed um, in the in the Bloomberg space, uh, did that for a year and a half. Very successful. It scratched done. I never got away from, nor could I ever get away from a desire uh, to. I, I don't I don't know what I feel about the term, but hunt, uh, research, execute a strategy, bring people in, have these discussions, close business, right? And so. Uh, for a long time, I thought that I could find hybrid roles. So I, I did, you know, I have, a, I had a hybrid role at Intuit for a little bit. I had somewhat a hybrid role at Bloomberg um, before I moved into actual regional manager. I thought being a regional manager at Bloomberg because of how my regional manager interacted with me that I would be kind of half selling, half leading. Um, you know what that means, right? You get into the leadership and all of a sudden you, this is this admin work and emails and meeting, 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 meeting. And it's just not- I what, have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was how much always it, shocked. So, so how much of it is, you know, that's true. How much of it is, you know, I just don't want to manage people. No, I love, I love, I love serving people in that way, right? So my, my, my biggest, um, the biggest draw for me for any leadership role I've had was the ability to, 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 to help people, right? And to, to impact people up close and personally and to see that impact as they grow in their lives and their business and their families and all of those sorts of things. So that, that's, that's still not something that I don't wanna do. I just, I just figure that there's, 
there's a way to do it as an individual contributor as well, right? So like I have a BDR who I work directly with who has aspirations and goals. My experience is gonna be very invaluable to him. His experience in this space for longer than I've been in this space is gonna be invaluable to me. So we make a really phenomenal team when it comes to like information sharing and motivating one another, right? And I can see the impact of the thing, like just the other day he called me and was like, look, I really appreciate you giving me this little nugget right here and kind of leading me in this direction because it resulted in this happening on this particular call. That to me is satisfying. Um, so that itch is getting scratched. How, how much not you, happening is, yeah, the other, the other. How know, much of it is also, you know, you mentioned earlier, you, you've got kids. How much of it is yeah. a lifestyle? Like I know a lot of people who don't want to do management because of the extra hours because they want to be with their kids or their family or their spouse or their significant other, whatever it is, right? Like yeah. that part of the decision for you? I wish I could say it was, but to be honest, like the, the position I had at Bloomberg as a regional manager, I mean, I was working 40 hours a week. Uh, you know, my team was doing extremely well. Um, and so that, that wasn't it. Like, so that, and that wasn't enough to hold me as a regional manager. I mean, highly successful team, uh, highly successful region, trending toward the same the following year. And I still was hungry to get back into the game, right? To, I was still hungry to, 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 to do something that might actually increase my work hours as opposed to decrease it. So it's not necessarily the lifestyle piece. Um, that's something we have to manage as a family, regardless of the role that I take or have. Um, but yeah, like I wish, I, I mean, I wish it was that easy where I could just be like, look, it's just a, I'm moving from being a manager of people. I had 11 AEs spread across and, and if I move into this individual contributor role, I'm gonna have a lot more time for my family. That's just not the case. I need but, you to teach um, me. I need you to teach me <laughs> about this mythical thing called the 40-hour work week. <laughs> I don't understand this concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's I'm trying the cheat to break code. Scott's bad habit of this. It's slowly no, it, happening. This is my cheat code, right? So I say I work 40 hours a week because I'm counting nine to five, right? Um, but I'm up at five in the morning, you know, uh, and I work out and then I, I pretty much get right on my laptop after that, but that doesn't count for me because my family sleep. When I count my work hours, uh -huh. I count hours, I count hours that I'm stealing from my family. I see. I see. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting way to, uh, to look at it. <laughs> that's, that's pure Scott. Like I can, for those who aren't, the wheels are turning. Like, how do I, how do I justify this to my wife? How is Janet going to handle this? Like, you just got to be up before her. I'm not her. stealing hours from you. You like, just got to be up before her. <laughs> that happens. That happens in Scott's world. So let, let, let's go into the topic of, of minorities in tech yeah. or minorities uh -huh. in sales. Um, yeah. You know, obviously you started in 2002. Um, yeah. What does that feel like? What advice, I guess maybe the question is for those who are considering moving into sales and, and they happen to be of, of a, some level of minority, right? It could even be women to a certain, to a large extent. Sure. sure. What advice do you give them? Of, and this is my bias of that self-conscious piece of you as you move into this role. Cause I assume that's there. Um, and I don't know that it is, but that's my assumption. How do you get out of your own way to say, okay, I'm going to go do this? Whether it's, and it could be anything, it doesn't even have to be sales. It could be anything. Yeah. Um, so when you say self-conscious, you're thinking about the piece that's kind of criticizing yourself as, as maybe not able to do it, not going to be able yeah, to Yeah, that kind of thing. Like, I, you know, are they going to look at me? Are they only going to hire me because I'm a woman or because I'm African-American or because I'm, you know, a, of a certain ethnicity or... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, any of those things, right? It, it, it could be gay, lesbian, right? It could be any of that stuff. Well, no, I laugh because I don't know anybody that's hired me only because I was an African-American. Uh, so I, I have no experience with like a, a personal, I have no experience with the, the reason we're gonna give you a nod is because you're African-American. But I do think that um, that self-conscious piece is something that's gonna be very, very difficult to shake, especially when you're in an environment where you may be in only um, and you just, you just need community. Like I, you don't just need community. Community is a big piece of what you need because the, to, to this day, right? Like I, I posted the other day about a conversation I had with David Weiss via text that was just like, he said, are you helping people? And I was like, yeah. He's like, if you're helping people, you're no imposter, right? These, I still have these conversations where I'm just, I'm wondering like, you know, is this right or real or am I uh, am I a fit for the role? Like where, this has always followed me, right? And the, the first thing I, you know, I, I have a friend of mine who's a, uh, who's a, a, philo- a psychology professor um, and I reached out to him one time. This is probably three, four years ago now. I reached out to him and said, man, tell me that there is a term for what I feel in all of these various spaces, right? So I started naming spaces for them and I said, this is what I feel in this space. This is how I feel in this space. Oh, this what are those spaces? Give people yeah. those ideas so we can- Yeah, public speaking in certain, in certain arenas, right? So most of the public speaking I've done has been me speaking to a majority crowd, right? Um, teaching and training and coaching, uh, reps who at, at certain times were older than me, more seasoned than me, uh, and maybe didn't look at the things that I was having to say um, in the same light that they did their previous manager. Um, and, and, and what are what are you feeling in those moments? Are you feeling I'm the only? Or are you just feeling like am I getting through? Like you you sort of said you went to your friend and you said, "Hey, tell me about these feelings." Is there a word? Well, what are those feelings that you felt in those situations? Yeah, I just felt like I was carrying a bag for everybody who looks like me ever, right? So like one, one side of it is just like, if I mess this up, I don't know that another one of me is going to ever get the opportunity to do it. So there's a weight and a pressure to perform um, that I don't think exists uh, for everyone. And so that was, that was one of the feelings, right? The other feeling is that um, in, in the same vein, like how many mistakes can I make, right? <laughs> I've seen people make a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of grace for them. And there's a, there's the ability to bounce back with no problem. I don't, I, I don't feel I, during that conversation, I wasn't, I didn't feel that I, I had the level of confidence to say that if I do make an error here, I can bounce back easily. Right. As opposed to reinforcing a stereotype that exists. And, and so, so what did your, what did your doc, what did your friend say? Is there a term? Yeah. He, he, he said, he said, I got two words for you. Uh, whistling Vivaldi. And I said, well, what in the earth is Whistling Vivaldi? And he said, it's a book, go get it, read it or listen to it. And I did. And, and I was amazed that this is a phenomenon that it doesn't, it, it's not just about minorities or non-minorities. It's really about uh, stereotype threat, wherever that stereotype might be found, right? And so um, slaying ghosts, right? Slaying dragons, slaying ghosts that are in these rooms that you walk into and you find yourself a part of. Um, and, and, then, and then from there trying to balance like, how do I appear and how do I, how do I show up in this space in a way that honors who I actually am and acknowledges that this threat is there, um, but maybe something that's not actually real in that time and space. So like that book was huge for me to start putting terms, right? And, and started understanding that this is not a Dewan thing, right? This is, this is, 
I'm, I'm, I'm living it, right? It's my lived experience, but there, there are people who have done long research on the existence of these phenomena, these feelings, and they are valid um, on one hand. And that's, a, that's an important thing to note. One of the things that you know, I try not to do, um, not, not perfectly, but when someone presents feelings to me, like I, I want to validate those feelings, like the, the feelings are real. And so that book validated my feelings. It didn't condone the way I, 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 re, I reacted to them or responded to them, but it validated my feelings. And when I had my subsequent conversations with my friend, like he validated my experience. He's a professor, he's a, a, a black, a young black man, a professor. He was at SUNY New Paltz at the time. I don't know if I have to tell you about the demographics there, but he was in that position. Right, and he was going for tenure and all of these types of things. He was presenting papers and, and, and research work. So he was experiencing it as well. And so we, we had an opportunity, this is where community comes in again. We had an opportunity to really talk through those things after I had read the book um, and, and talk about ways to, to actually deal with that and cope with that in, that, that in productive, not destructive ways. Um, and that was, that was extremely helpful for me. That was awesome. Like I, I literally wrote down the book. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. I was saying, Dewan, you're a part of a number of different communities online. Yes. Uh, I mean, talk talk about the reasons why. I mean, you said you got to be. Talk about the reasons why. And then, if you can, you don't have, and you don't have the name names. You don't want to, but like, what makes some of them work better than others? Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Uh, good question. Um, I find that I have to be a part of these types of communities because I'm learning over time. It's taken me probably 15 years to learn that some of the stuff I say is important to some people, right? That some of the stuff I say is actually helpful um, uniquely. And I wanna be able to help as many people as I can. And so sort of being in these different communities gives me an opportunity to peer in. Sometimes I'm lurking. I'll see a question, maybe I'll reach out to somebody by you know, a DM or, or something like that. And, and, and start a conversation and see if I can help. So that's that's one side of it. The other side of it is I too need the help, right? <laughs> so so I I need the help in ways that um, there's only you know there's only certain people who are going to understand clearly when I get on the phone and I start and I sound like I'm about to cry because I'm uh, I'm just so much stress and pressure that is on me, not from the work that I'm doing necessarily or the company I'm with necessarily, but just because of the who I am and the space I occupy and what that means for the pressure and the stress that I feel. Not everyone can hold that conversation. So some of my work in these communities is identifying who might be able to hold that conversation so we can actually jive together. And then I build new communities of people that I just get on the phone with and, and, and have those conversations and vent and things like that. Now, David Weiss has started a podcast that's um, you know centered on that because it's, it is a prevalent problem. But um, so that's a part of it. And then the other, th the other part is just knowledge share, man. I just, I talked about my gaps earlier and the fact that at 45, I still have some, a lot. Um, the best way to fill it is to, to find people who have what I have as a gap as a strength and vice versa so that we can feed off of each other and help each other to grow. Iron sharpens iron. So I try to be in, a, in the presence of as many irons as possible. Now, now, what makes some of these communities more powerful or more successful though? Assuming, yeah, yeah. assuming, I'm going to assume there's some iron in each community, but not right. every, but not every community, you know, makes the same impact on you. I find, or, yeah, or that's that's right, you to make the same impact on on others. So I'm yeah. cu curious because there's, you know, this is like 
This is almost like the year of the micro community in, in, in a right. way. Well, some of the, not every micro community is made equal. You is, got that right. What I've seen. So I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts there. I do. Um, what I'm looking for in a community that I find would be most impactful to me personally is I need to see evidence of people being people, right? I, there's some communities that I have dabbled in um, and it's just a lot of like, you get the big, you get, you get, the, you get the feeling that it's just like uh, all chatter, no, no, no substance. It's just a big corporate thing, right? Like it's, it's like being in a, you know, for me that the experience that I'm referring to and thinking of, is just like, it was just like coming to another meeting. You know what I mean? It was almost like coming to another corporate event or a corporate mm-hmm. meeting where everyone had an idea of what would make them look best. Yeah. And, and it was just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people projecting that. And, and I, I, you know, so that, that's not that useful for me. Um, I need a, I need to first see, you know, cause I'm, I'm testing the water. Like I'm, I'm like, I want to know what people are actually feeling and thinking, you know, it, and I know how this works, right? So I know that sometimes somebody comes out and they say, hey, I feel inept in my role. And then on the basis of that, you get a couple people who say, yeah, I've been there. I know what you mean. This is how I overcame it. I'm kind of looking for the, the community where somebody says, I feel inept in my role. And people just say, I do too. <laughs> you know, without the, <laughs> yeah, just like, and I call that, you know, I, you know the, the term that I use for that is just like, uh, naked account like naked honesty right like where it because i i hear a lot of transparency that is shaded right like so it's like yeah i felt inadequate in my role before and these are the steps i took with no with no conclusion okay did those steps actually fix it (laughs) or did or, or did those steps or did those steps just uh you know position you to better deal with it like what happened so where I, are you today? Is it fixed? Are you done? Because if that, if that's the case, like you probably can't stomach me, right? And I, I may not be able to stomach I, you. I hear, I hear you. It, it, I hear feels you. Like, it feels like all these communities are like apps on our phone. Like we have so many we can belong to. And then there's a whole ton. Like I got, I bet I have a hundred apps on my phone that I ignore, but I also right. haven't deleted them. Right. That's right. what it seems it's like right. to me. This is the difference between me and you, Richard. I have like 25 apps on my phone. Not, if I don't use it, it's not on my phone. It's gone. That is a whole episode, dude, because I don't know anybody yeah. like you. That's the nah. level of discipline I need to get to. Duan, I hear, I hear you talk about, um, you know, that, that reply, if you will, or that explanation where somebody says, yeah, I felt this way too. I felt like an imposter too. Here's what I, here's what I did. Yeah. I hear you say that, and all I could think of is, that's how that particular individual moved through that bout with imposter syndrome. Right. Now they're fighting a new, a new bout. Right. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> it never goes away. Like I had right. doubt as a rep. I had doubt as a manager. I had doubt as a VP. I had doubt as an entrepreneur. I have, <laughs> it, never, <laughs> it never really goes away. It's like, okay. This is what I did to move through that particular bout. I tried right. to do it again the next time and it didn't work as well. And I had to find some new thing. Yeah. So I, I, I like that. You know, you look for the people who just say, yeah. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> yeah, <me laughs> too. Like, man, I don't have all the answers either. I'm, I'm all yeah. screwed up as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's it's in that it's in that way, you know, the way my wife frames it, right? Is like if you can't if you can't sit with me in what's hurting, like sit with me in the pain and the the recognition of of what's off, right? Then how can we be human together? I mean, that's that's my wife's words, and I'm you know I'm like. That applies everywhere, right? Like I can't, we can't really be human together if every time I bring up something that is that is a stressor or bothersome to me, you just have an immediate fix. Yeah, right? that that's not the way. That's not the way to build camaraderie. Uh, you know, a layer of transparency that's going to be required for us both to grow and actually benefit from one another because it ends up being the one who always has the fix is always seated above the one who needs the fix when we both need the fix, one of us is acknowledging it and one of us is not. Yeah. And, and that type of relationship will always be seen as a hierarchy as opposed to a side to side growth, a growth fest, if you will. So I, I and I have some of those relationships, don't get me wrong. Like, all, I think you need a variety of types of relationships. Some of them are just gonna be knowledge sharing. Some of them, some of them will be sharpening in a skill set for a particular role. Um, but, I, but I really, really enjoy the relationships that I have where I can say, I'm struggling here and someone can actually meet me there and kind of, and kind of, it just, and just, I'm not looking for sympathy as it were. Like, I'm not looking for somebody to be like, Oh, poor you, but just like, can you tell me how you can relate to this? And then let's talk through it together in the midst of that. We can probably, we'll probably help each other, but ultimately like I, I just, transparency is something I see it thrown around all over the all over the interwebs like transparency this and transparency that and transparency that and you ask somebody how you doing this week and they're just like oh uh you know uh, i you know phenomenal like or you know how you how, how, how you been this quarter like how's this quarter going for you man i could i can't complain there's nothing to complain about i mean i'm not asking you to complain but i mean we all live in the same world right like it's been hard <laughs> for a number of reasons like if you can't say it's been hard what else can't you say anyway <laughs> I, I agree I, I kind of call it meeting people in their own headspace right and yeah. um and it and it 100 goes to that emotional connection right like where you know for me it's trying to remember to ask people well how can i help you hey you're having a great quarter good well how can i help you how can i help yeah. you make it better right and i think it's a really good question um, and, and, um, you know, Morgan Ingram actually taught it to me because I asked him, I said, you know, with everything going on with social justice, right? Like turn around and ask, you know, a black person, how, how are you doing? It's kind of like, I should know how I'm doing. <laughs> I don't need to ask that. I said, what do you, what should I say? Right. If I want to be supportive, he said, how can you help? And it was interesting because it really clicked for me. And I was like, oh, that's, that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I have the opposite problem. Every time, every time Richard asks me how I'm doing, I'm just like, I'll fucking barely survive, dude. <laughs> I already know how you're doing. All around me, everything's going to disappear in the next 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but Scott, in fairness, you're willing to answer the question pretty realistically. Like I can ask you that and our relationship is deep enough that you'll be like, dude, this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong, right? Um, yeah, I don't think here's, here's, here's one of the things that um, when I was when I was when I was leading the team, um, 
I, I, one of the first things I said to my team when, when we met was like, I know that you're accustomed to having leadership that when you go to the leadership and you have some things to get off your chest and you want to vent and things like that, you feel, you fear risking your brand to do that. And the first thing I want to tell you is that your brand is on the basis of that, like you expressing what you actually feel and how things are actually going, your brand is never in danger with me. What I want to do is I want you to come to me with that stuff. You can cuss me out. You can do whatever you want to do. But at the end of that call, I'm going to ask you, what would you like to see done? Or what obstacle would you like to see moved? And then I'm going to help you frame the ask to the right people so that your brand is protected, right? So you come to me and do all of the stuff that would normally ruin your brand. And then we're going to, and then we're going to frame it properly so that you can actually get some results from what you put toward what you actually want. Right. And that I had people come to me and just be like, you know, that changed their, that changed their, their, their feeling about the work. Right. Because they, they no longer had like this horseshoe over them or this, this idea that at any moment they were going to be ruined in the eyes of yep. the, the leadership of the organization. And, um, like that, that sounds, that's like, that sounds like me trying to get you to use Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I'm on. You see me? <laughs> I, see you. I see you, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. <laughs> yeah, that was that was huge. That was a huge impact. I was like, you know what? He's right. Let me Duan, go out here and do Duan's it. Dewan's out there on Twitter now, talking all sorts of things, including <laughs> uh, you know how bad he is at golf and how he's. Yeah. <laughs> this is the content that I'm here for. From yeah. the people I know and respect. Yeah, I appreciate that nudge. <laughs> um, I got I got to pull us out because um, we're, we're like this has been a, a fabulous episode because you just like I was texting Scott like there's so many good nuggets in here for this episode and I got a ton of great notes for us but we're actually at the end unfortunately um, I went quick I did it did so we're gonna ask you one last question but first I want to just you know remind everybody of our sponsors of find them lead four one one perception predict. Gong and of course Vidyard, our newest sponsor in November and December. So our, our final question for you is how can we help you? Is there a cause you're out there you want to talk about, mention? Is there business advice you want to ask us? You know, we, we sort of turn it over to you now. Yeah, that's really interesting. And this is going to be the first time I ever mention this now that you asked that question. Um, yeah, there's a cause that I'm really, really passionate about, and that's like equity and education. Um, and to that end, uh, I'm a board member of a school that's launching next year here in Richmond, Virginia. Um, if you don't know much about Richmond, Virginia, obviously we're in the uh, former home of the, the form, former capital of the Confederacy. Um, a lot of a lot of the um, you know laws and legislation uh, that 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 prevented um, black mobility within the community um, were they originated here um, in Richmond, Virginia. And so you know the redlining and all of the things that impacted educational spaces and the way education is needed out here um, remain, right? So there's still a big, big chasm between the haves and the have-nots as it relates to education in Richmond. And so the school is called Imago Day um, Neighborhood School. And, um, you know, we are looking for people, you don't have to be in Richmond to be passionate about education, equity and education, starting at a young age. We're looking at starting at like pre-K um, through like second grade, um, because we believe that that's the space where, where the messages that the kids internalize, get solidified um, at that early age. And so our, our desire and goal with the school is to provide a place where um, kids can come and, and hear 
truth about like who they are and the value that they have as individuals and the, the fact that there is a there there's a large world out there and they can actually have access to it partially through education and so um, that's a big deal for me right now and we're in the midst of like this fundraising uh, activity um, to make sure that we can get it launched because it's deeply and desperately needed here in the city of Richmond and so um, I'm happy to provide a link to the school. What is it? Go ahead and tell matter. people. What What is the link? Yeah. We'll, we'll put it in the episode. Yeah, it's the name of the school is Imago Day. I wasn't prepared for this question, but let me make sure I can give you the right, the right uh, URL. Um, it is ImagoDayRichmond.org. Model, a model day, Richmond.org. No, no, Imago Day. So I M A G O. D-E-I, richmond.org. Um, and, and ultimately this- is one more time for folks. Yeah, Imago Day. I-M-A-G-E, uh, sorry, I-M-A-G-O, D-E-I, richmond.org. Um, and this is just for, for anybody that's passionate about education and seeing equity in education and people having access to uh, the levels of education that you normally have to pay a lot of money for and blocks people out. Um, this is a, this is a, this is going to be, this is one of those efforts to bring some, uh, you know, some equity to that space here in the city. Good. That's awesome, man. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for, uh, for being involved with that, man. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. I got, you know, I got six kids and, and, you know, I've seen like how hard it is, um, you know, to, 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 to entrust them to um, a particular school and, and feel confident that, the lessons that they're getting and the, the, the messages that are being that are being you know that, that, that are echoing in their mind are, are, are messages of um, you know not just positivity but again truth like you are not what you you know what the imagery and what the media and what these different pundits have said you are like you, you are more than that based on um, just who you are right your 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 person your personhood. That's awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you for being inspiring too. And, you know, starting your career and helping others, whether it's at a management level an individual level, and then also seeking out your own education, right? Like I think that's sometimes paying it forward is figuring out your own shit, right? Yeah. And you can pay it forward. That's um, real. So I, we, we really appreciate it, Juan. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good to see you again, man. It was good. Yeah, likewise.